Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse, the fifth column, 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 column. Next, we're going to have a conversation with Rob Mariani. Rob is the former opinion editor at The Daily Caller. On November 3rd, 2017, he published the column by Milo Yiannopoulos on the Kevin Spacey situation. Within a few short days, he discovered that he had been fired via Twitter for publishing said article. This conversation is uh, is one that took a lot of interesting turns. We didn't only talk about the situation with Milo and the firing, but we also talked about journalism more broadly as a discipline. The odd vulnerabilities that someone who is working with ideas in the public eye finds themselves exposed to the the way in which that influences the things that they talk about. And we had a, a rather interesting uh, debate about historical issues that got a little contentious. It's it a moral issue, a factual issue with it being well, true. I can understand why you wouldn't want it to be true. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Because I, I, I don't know. My, my, my I don't want it to be true. Why? Sense. Because I'm a gay man and I don't like uh, being associated with uh, pedophiles? No, it is. It, it's none of your fucking business. It didn't get a little contentious. It got contentious. But I think the entire thing is interesting. I, I believe it's worth your time. Um, and I'm delighted to be able to share this conversation with you, which, again, a little unusual, perhaps not quite a, our, our special dispatch, but it definitely is something that we're happy to add to the uh, catalog. So here you go. The fifth column. We've got Robert Mariani with us uh, from the Daily Caller, or formerly of the Daily Caller. Uh, Robert, thank you for joining us to talk to us a little bit about what's been going on with you. Could you perhaps just give us a sense of what the hell happened here? Sure, sure. Um, and thanks so much for having me on. Um, so basically, uh, going back a, a week, I guess eight days. Well, I guess I guess more than that. Uh, last week on Monday. Um, you know, that's from the whole Kevin Spacey ordeal. Everyone was hearing about it. Um, you know, with P, he, he, you know, he came out as gay as sort of the deflection from the whole, um, you know, he like assaulted a, a 14 year old. Um, and, you know, I was thinking of getting someone to write about it. And uh, I had, I had a few people in mind that I brought up at the editorial meeting, you know, that everyone was at, uh, at that point, except the editor in chief, but, you know, those hiring editors there. Mm-hmm. And someone said, uh, He's like, why didn't you get Milo? Um, and then, you know, uh, we, uh, we had run Milo before in like a different capacity, like to sort of promote something. Um, everyone in the room was like, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. A bunch of journalists, they tried to bring down Milo. That's what they did. They got his book canceled and uh, various other things, you know, because, you know, he, him mentioning, I guess, this phenomenon of age difference in, you know, uh, gay male relationships. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't sound very good, the sort of a uh, sound bite. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that's great. And then, you know, someone else, I got, uh, she, you know, another person at a tour meeting, she gave me his contact info um, and it worked. So then I come back to another tour meeting and I said, you know, guys, I got Milo. Um, and I say, even better, uh, I got him on to give me like a regular submission. Um, and everyone thought that was a great idea. You know, at worst, it didn't seem like a problem at all. And at best, people were like, oh, this is awesome. Good job. Um, 
But, uh, you know, it comes around, uh, I publish it on Friday afternoon. Excuse me. And, um, I, and, you know, I, I send it, I send a draft to email. The editors are, you know, they can all see that. It's sort of the file address. And the, and I put in the title, Myo Yiannopoulos' first column. So there's no ambiguity through any of this, you know. It's clear that this is a guy who's writing for us and he's going to, you know, be a regular contributor. And I give him the title column, you know, because that's what I give. That doesn't denote any official capacity within the organization. Um, all that means is it's a person who, you know, who I think is important and gets me regular submissions. I have other people who are called columnists and, you know, the higher ups are aware, you know, that specifically means they aren't a staffer. They're just, you know, they give me op eds. Um, and so the pro the problem sort of comes when the week and think progress report that we hired Milo, um, which isn't true. We didn't, he didn't have any official capacity, like I said. Right. He wasn't getting paid, right? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, there's, there's no contract. There's no, you know, official agreement except me saying, you know, sure. Yeah. I'd love to have him, you know, me giving me a submission once a week you know it, it, it's it's as minor as could be as an issue on on friday um you know what happens is basically uh the publisher you know for, for those who are listening who don't know publisher generally outranks the editor-in-chief is the top guy of the organization but he handles the business side like pe people don't run articles past the publisher the, the editor-in-chief is the top guy for that the editor-in-chief already knew it, he was fine with it and he he was actually even very enthusiastic about getting Milo. Um, but the publisher he he emails me and the editor in chief and he says, "Yeah, um, let's correct correct anyone saying we hired Milo, and uh, let's let's tweak his signature line so to make things clear in that regard." So it was a very minor issue. At this point, no sign that anyone might oh, get yeah. fired over this. We're just going to make it clear that we're not not in bed with Milo. And I think you're at what. Friday or Saturday of, of last week? This is Friday. This is the end of Friday, the Friday the 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. So Friday the 3rd. And this is this is not just that Think Progress had found out. This is the, the day after the Mercers had distanced themselves from, from Bannon and Milo and sold their stake in Breitbart as well. Well, this is a little, a little more, a couple more days after that. But uh, I think it was about a week after. I might be wrong, but. Yeah, I see this um, reported on November 2nd that Robert Mercer says he'll he'll sell Breitbart's stake. Um, perhaps further distancing himself from Bannon and Milo. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah sure, and, sure. You know, if you're S having this conversation, yeah. <laughs> and if you're having this Super conversation nice. on the third, then I mean, this is the the day after. So there is some there's some broader think, some broader yeah, context yeah, that this is happening in. Sure, it's not sure. just that Milo is a guy who has unpopular opinions, who has frequently right. in many corners been condemned as racist and, and various other horrible things, right. um, but in this particular case, there's already a lot of blowback for for a perceived association with with Milo. So you guys are in in I don't know if I'd call it damage control uh, as as you're telling it. It sounds like correct the record mode, um, right? And and what what happens? Where is the turn that that brings it to a point where we're talking about it now? Yeah, that that's sort of the big question. Um, so like on, on Friday, it wasn't even like. It certainly wasn't like a Rob gets fired uh, situation. It was uh, like the G chat from the editor in chief. He was like, yeah, um, the publisher's not exactly happy. And he says, 
I know, I know you tipped us all off, you know, a few times and you gave us, you let us know what was happening, but in the future for something this big, just like, sit, like sit me down specifically and give me all the details rather than most of them. Um, so like, yeah, sure. That's completely reasonable. Uh, understood. Um, and so, you know, it, it was very minor. No one thought it was a big deal in the office or even worth like thinking about on, uh, except in a few emails on, on Friday, Saturday morning, however, is way different. Uh, I find out over Twitter, that I lost my job. Someone messaged, someone DMs me. You found out over Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was Saturday. I was, I was out, I was like a brunch or something. And because, you know, th- there would be like, that was outside of the realm of possibility considering everything I knew from how minor of an issue it was the day before. Like, there's 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 almost nothing that could bridge that gap, like unless someone committed a homicide or something. You know what I mean? So uh, I was like, this can't be right. So I checked my email, and then you know my boss just a little before that asked me to send me an email, asked me to call him. So I do, and he says, uh, I call him. He's like, dude, I'm sorry, I did everything I could, but Neil, the publisher, is is asking me to let you go. Um, apparently, you know, Neil was thrown into some kind of like lunatic rage by something that no one's exactly sure. I'm sure someone knows exactly what it was. Um, but it was obviously different from the day before. Uh, and people have gotten in touch with me. Well, I mean, first of all, let me uh, frame this by saying I had an enormous outpouring of support. Everyone I worked with, um, you know, contributors I had, Friends, strangers, anyone who heard of the situation, you know, they, they all they all DM me, you know, with support with like help, you know, offers to help me find a new job. There was almost no negativity, you know, um, directed to like my side of this. Right, it expressed expressed to you directly. Yeah, yeah, and, and some of these people were like, yeah, um, there's some people who were at the call. I'm not going to name them, of course, but um, were like, yeah, um, it was. It was, you know, an anti-Trump investor or donor leaning on Neil. Um, and I'm not sure if that's, maybe that's not true, but that seems like it could be the case. Because um, that seems like that's the only thing that could change, like, the tone in such, like, a full 180 um, from the day before. Uh, so, I mean... Yeah. So, so there was some, there was some pressure from, yeah. from someplace. And, and I mean, the, what seems to have happened here is the the they fired they fired you in an effort to preserve sure. appearances and to distance right. themselves from from Milo and you know it as i mentioned earlier like Milo has a reputation clearly he's a, a sure, controversial sure. dude um some might say a lightning rod and in this particular context i mean the reason why Milo disappeared from from public for a while um was in a way like related to the the topic that he was writing about um with respect to kevin spacey so it's oh, the, yeah i mean it's that, the, that's why he was pitched me by the yeah so it's the kind of thing that is necessarily going to be scintillating that one suspects is probably going to get those clicks yeah um and whether or not it's the kind of thing that is um incredibly edifying uh, and i say that because you know i'm not i'm not 
a particular fan of Milo's. Uh, quite frankly, I actually don't have strong opinions about him either way, which mm. these days... Opinions uh, of him defending pedophilia? Um, Are you pro-pedophilia? I, I, don't have, I don't have perspectives on Milo's perspective on pedophilia either, okay. because Milo isn't that important to me. Neil. Neil's last name is what again? Publisher? Patel. Neil Patel. Yeah. And- He's partners with Tucker Carlson. They started this thing together. Sure. Tucker still owns his piece of, of uh, The Daily Caller, right? He has like a board seat or whatever. He, he has no official day to day like capacity in the operations. He got his Fox gig. Right. Uh, so when you when you're uh, you know hiring Milo as a columnist, beyond the sort of uh, hiring hiring in quotes because he wasn't getting paid. Well, we're, we're gonna hire him. That's the point. He's the guy who's gonna give me regular submissions. Okay. When you're how about how about I rephrase it then and say when you're publishing Milo as a columnist and you know Milo on Kevin Spacey for instance, I mean what do you why? That's what I say as somebody who's you know been an editor at magazines put together front of the book back of the book stuff. If it's beyond just clicks, I mean Milo is what a strong writer. He's making smart arguments. He thinks it's something that your audience. I, mean, I think. I think his writing is pretty good, and he—I mean, it's a unique perspective. The bottom line. What, would that, what do you mean? Um, what do you mean by that? Tell me. Tell me what that means. A unique perspective on Kevin Spacey. How so? Sure, because he was brought down for—I mean, something similar realm, uh, uh, and particularly because I think the whole fiasco on Milo—it wasn't him exactly defending pedophilia on its merits. It was him saying, "Yeah, this is this is normal and not really controversial." Like within the gay male community, that's true. Like it's actually it's more sanitized these days, and maybe it's formed these days. Uh, but you know, in in like the seventies and eighties, there were Nambla floats in every single gay pride parade. There were Nambla pamphlets. Nambla was never a part of the gay mainstream in the gay pride movement or in the gay rights movement. Nambla was a tiny, tiny fraction of something. You had a few people that were sure. actually famous people like I mean, Alan Ginsberg. Let me finish my point. Small. Let me finish my point. Let me finish my point right. that, you know, Alan Go Ginsberg ahead. was involved in it. But to say in any way that Nambla is like a part of the mainstream gay uh, movement in the 1970s and 80s is on its face patently absurd. And if you believe that, I, it appears that you don't know anything about the the gay rights movement in the 70s and 80s, even if you object to elements of it. It was not, and Nambla was not a, a common element. Were there people that were oh. being molested? No, this is not, this has nothing to do with homosexuality. I mean, we can say the same thing about the Catholic Church. To the Catholic Church, it's mainstream Catholic Church, is the Catholic Church, the priests diddle boys. Well, there's a, there is, that was happening. Yeah, I don't think it's a part of the movement in any way, though, is it? <laughs> okay, I mean, you, you seem to have a moral uh, issue with that being the case, but that doesn't... I don't have know, a moral issue with like it being moral, the case. I have know, a factual yeah, issue course, with you, the you case. You seem to not like the idea of that being true. I, I think I there's... Mean, it's, I, it's, hey, it's, hey, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're talking to me. You put something to me. Let me finish and let me make my point. I have a moral issue with that being true is one of the sillier constructions I've ever heard of, of a sentence. I don't have a moral issue with it being true. It isn't true. I don't, it's not a moral issue, a factual issue with it being well, true. I can understand why you wouldn't want it to be true. What does that mean? Tell me what that means. Because I, I, I don't know. My, my, my I don't want it to be true. Why? Sense. Because I'm a gay man and I don't like uh, being associated with uh, pedophiles. No, it is. 
It's none of your fucking business. What the point is, is that it's not true. Nambla Nambla was not a a part of mainstream gay society in the 1970s, the 1980s. Uh, Whether or not I have a moral issue with it or be true or not, you tell me how it's true. No, I get upset with nonsense people like you saying that, like, oh, I have a moral issue with it potentially being true. You have to justify it and tell me how it's true. Give me some examples. Tell me how Nambla was mainstream. the the gay historian I spoke to who's going to write this piece before I got Milo, they got scared. He's a gay man and he's a historian. Told me this. I think he's a. What did he t- what did he, t- what did he tell you? I mean, what I just told you. What we did he tell you specifically? Long conversation where he he uh, eventually backed out. I mean, it seemed like I was going to get him at first, but uh, what did he I tell mean, you his exactly? Point was that. Not that this was sort of mainstream or that molesting children. It was more like an age difference in relationships. When we talk about children, people think of like 10-year-olds, which is not what we're talking about here. This is, uh, you know, 14 year olds like are high okay? school age people. So 14-year-olds are okay. 28-year-old man fucks a 14-year-old boy. That's I mean, in, 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 in seriousness, to take it away from the, the gay issue, I mean, age of consent laws are are variable and perspectives on the appropriate age for people to engage in sexual relationships broadly speaking you know historically even in the space of 20 30 40 50 years like perspectives on that change so could 14 be appropriate at you, some you, point in you, time you, you used maybe. It, well yes you but, used well you used yeah. an acronym and the acronym was used to me was nambla right what does nambla stand for the north american man yeah yeah boy boy Love Association. It's not right. fourteen year olds and no, no. I totally, year olds. I totally hear you on that. And I, I mean, think, and I don't know I who this we're... mystery historian is who's not brave enough to be a historian in public. But you know, I could say, oh, I talked to a historian named David Irving. He's written ten books, and he'll tell you <laughs> something about the Holocaust. I don't know what the specifics are. I've never seen, and I know quite a bit about this stuff. That Nambla was a part of the mainstream of gay culture. I don't know if we're going to resolve. They had floats and pride parades. I don't know well, to tell you, man. I don't. I don't know if we'll resolve this that's a particular. Pretty, that's I don't a know. Pretty thin read. I don't know if we'll. I'd like to. I'd like to see that. I don't yeah. know if we'll resolve this narrow point. So perhaps I can steer it back to sort of this broader question. I mean, clearly this this is a topic, and Milo is a person based on the things he's written and the things he said, not just who he is, but on substance, he is a person that creates a great deal of controversy um, and is surrounded by controversy. And these are the kinds of strong responses, I take it, uh, that are likely to be generated by a piece that Milo writes. Um, so there's a lot of incentive, and I think that's what you were getting at, Michael. Um, both you know, from an editorial standpoint, there's the judgment call of whether you know, are we creating material that is purely scintillating or are we creating material that creates um, serious con- conversations? There's certainly uh, there's a relationship between those two things. I think it could be both. Um, and oftentimes editorial decisions are made for both reasons and sometimes more of one and, and, and less of the other, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe I can turn this to a to a to a slightly different aspect of this story. Um, kind of the personal narrative of finding yourself in a situation where you are out of a job because of an editorial decision that you've made, um, or you're out of a job because of a combination of things, maybe a collective editorial decision that they need someone to take the fall for. In either case, there's something about the vulnerability of journalism as a profession and about journalists in particular who work in public, who are perhaps dealing with people who have dodgy perspectives or perspectives that are 
unpopular. And I'm not talking about like conservatives working in the liberal media industry, but I just mean journalists in general who are perhaps working on an issue that might be unpopular or working as a person who is perhaps unpopular or works on the margins. Um, there's something to be said for perhaps the tendency to play it safe um, when staking out perspectives, when sharing when sharing perspectives and when courting opinions from people to get them to contribute to your publication because it might get you marginalized. It might end up having some blowback effects um, and perhaps might end up with you getting fired for publishing a piece that might in many ways be fairly innocuous. Um, and this is not narrowly about the sort of Milo controversy, but more broadly about the incentives that might be created in an industry where, you know, the, the average journalist isn't making like half a million dollars a year, $300,000 a year. They live in really expensive cities. They might be making six figures, maybe. The younger ones might be making somewhere south of that. And there are really only so many places you can transfer to if you do lose your job and you lose it under circumstances that make you somewhat toxic. Clearly, there are certain things like plagiarism that can totally end you. But in other cases, like here, I mean, you just, you touch something that's fairly hot. Mm -hmm. While you've had expressions of support from certain circles, I wonder if you're at all concerned about the possibility of of landing another right. gig, given the nature of the controversy that you've been uh, embroiled sure. in. Sure. Uh, I think it's the, the more general point you're making that, um, you know, journalists are close to radioactive things. It's just the nature of the game. Um and I, I don't so I don't think there's like necessarily like something to be uh, worried about with, you know, journalists, journalists can get burned more than other people because, you know, I think journalists, they're, they're in the business of managing needs, so to speak, like managing the ideas of, uh, you know, what's in the public. Um, and I think that's one of the perks of their jobs. Uh, you, uh, you get to have this privileged position of you know deciding the flow of you know ideas and um so i'm not uh you know i'm not, i'm not exactly sure uh that it's it's wrong that the flip side of that is that all right if you mess up you pay bigger consequences than say someone working in engineering well you you hope you hope to have a privileged position i mean if in a way like you take positions within a particular band that are you know, palatable to enough people um, rather than perhaps uh, flirting with some ideas that may be a little further afield. Um, sure. So maybe, I mean, I suppose that's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at. And I think your perspective is a, is a fair one. Um, and, you know, given the situation you find yourself in, I think it, it lends your perspective on that a little bit more. Sure. Right? I mean, yeah, I'm personally not worried about finding a job just because pretty much Everyone who knew what was going on, like, there was nobody who was like, yeah, the, the Daily Caller was was totally right about this, except people who like aren't Daily Caller readers, like people who are like, you know, Democrats of America folks, you know what I mean? Um, and they're, they're completely irrelevant to this discussion as far as I'm concerned, because uh, they don't, <laughs> if the Daily Caller fires someone for publishing, you know, it won't be fired for anyone else I publish from the, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but, you know, everyone else was like, this is on its face. Obviously got screwed. Um, so, you know, let's set up an interview for next week. Uh, so, you know, that's my perspective. So 
maybe if that didn't happen, I'd have a little bit. Uh, I, I hope this wouldn't affect my judgment, but maybe it would. Um, I'd have a little bit of a different view on, you know, journalists, uh, journalists having to wash their backs. You know, I, I think journalism just because it's, it, I, it, I feel like it's an industry that there are a lot of, a lot more people want to get into than there are sort of spots for, um, that kind of makes everyone's job, uh, you know, a little less secure, um, rather than compared to if you were some kind of like, you know, programmer. Um, and, you know, I think that that goes into, uh, to this, you know, idea of like being near controversy, uh, because, you know, you you, not only are there reasons to get rid of you, but there's low costs of getting rid of you. You know, you, you there's, there's five people who want your job. Uh, Robert, this is uh, before we go. I, I wanted to to hit you with one question. I I think you got totally uh, screwed over, um, and sounds like people were acting in a cowardly uh, manner. You might not be in the best position to answer this question since you that happened to you. However, this kid named Elliot Kaufman, I believe, uh, college mm-hmm. student, wrote a pretty, uh, I thought, um, convincing piece. Uh, it was published in National Review uh, two months ago or so, where he basically said. Um, Conservatives screwed up by making Milo a thing on campus. We courted, we wanted the controversy more than we wanted ideas. It's not about ideas. It's about uh, provoking a reaction and that that is ultimately a shallow and even kind of anti-intellectual thing. And we should acknowledge that as we go forth in this world and maybe invite people who have more of substance to say. What's your response to that as put into a uh, the context of publishing opinion journals? Um, I, I don't uh, entirely uh, disagree with that take, um, you know, that, that, you know, in the sort of like highest, uh, most ideal scenarios, uh, that might be true. We want like just the intellectual, just the ideas, just like no ego involved. Um, but first and on the most simple level, um, you know, my I was explicitly tasked with maximizing the traffic to the opinion section. That was my job. If I was getting more traffic, I was doing a good job. If I was doing less traffic, I, I was doing, you know, not a good job. Um, so, you know, and at the end of the day, like, I'm I'm trying to do my job in a a competent or hopefully a much better than competent man. What's the, what's the limit on that though? Tell me what the limit is there. I mean, I, 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 I used to have to do things like this for websites too. And I could of course maximize uh, the number of page views by putting two very attractive people having sex on camera uh, on the front, on the front page of the website. Mm-hmm. I could do that fairly easily. I mean, the, Crappiest porn video sure, probably I mean, has eight million page views. Is there a bottom at which you will not, you know, trespass? You won't go past this point. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not going to publish like someone who's a straightforward white supremacist, like Richard one who Spencer, is a, a kind of roundabout white supremacist. You publish that though. You said you said not I mean, a straightforward the, 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 one. That's white supremacist by the definition of like far left groups, which yeah. you know, my job isn't to please far left political persecution groups, the FLC. Um, if I was doing that, I would publish all day as like soft recipes or something. Yeah. You know, um, th- there'd be there'd be no no actually stimulating or interesting content up there except like tax cuts. Okay, no, so no straightforward white white supremacists. Uh, but you know, anything else that that you you'd say that was off limits? Sure. Um, 
I mean, anyone who supports, uh, uh, you know, killing homeless people is all, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think I, I had a, I had a pretty, I was pretty liberal, so to speak, not in a political sense, but like in a loose sense of, um, you know, my, for who I'd published. There are other there are people I ain't getting in trouble for publishing them, but, you know, people probably the FPLC didn't mm-hmm. like, um, some strong anti-immigration folks. But on the other hand, you know, one of the person, one of the people, not really a contributor, but I had a syndicated column from, Ann Coulter. Um, she's sort of on the edginess level of Milo. And, uh, you know, we were paying for her syndicated column. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I didn't have a say in that. And, you know, if I did, I don't think I would stop publishing her either. But, you know, she said some pretty controversial things. She's a pretty strong stance on, like, you know, Islam being a bad religion and us needing to have essentially a Muslim ban. I'd say that's pretty controversial, at least in the Washington, D.C. circles. Um, But I think of it being distasteful to powerful people uh, is different from it being something that's an idea that shouldn't be discussed. Um, I think think there's actually very... Uh, perhaps like viscerally unpleasant ideas that are very worth discussing, like even outside of politics. Like um, if we take utilitarianism to its logical conclusion, then the only moral thing to do is to build some kind of, you know, sapient supercomputer that can hold more utility than being combined. Even if we had to sacrifice every human, you know, Um, these sort of extremes of taking ideas help us understand maybe the less extreme version. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you pivot to soil and green to, to illustrate that point. Um, I, I get it. Um, I have one, one sort of last question and we're, we're short of time here, but for people who are not working journalists, I think the nature of the question that, that Moynihan just posed is, is probably pretty important to them. What, in terms of your mandate, the mandate that you have from the publication that you were working for the daily caller, how do they define the parameters for what they are willing to cover? Um, what is the decision-making process? Like, is it just you using, using your own internal moral compass to make determinations about what is worthwhile and what is beyond the pale um, or is it is it just you know by consensus in the editorial meetings, or is there oh. uh, some sort of charge that you get institutionally? And and I'll just we'll we'll sort of punch out on that question. For the opinion section, um, in in general, uh, perhaps narrowly with respect to your role, you can answer answer however you like. Um, so the opinion section is a one man operation. Obviously, I reported to the I reported to someone. I reported to the editor in chief. But you know, I was always happy to you know to take uh, to sort of crowdsource the ideas at meetings. Uh, you know, more heads are better than a single one. Um, but uh, you know, it, it was the Daily Caller. This is why I think it's an interesting like publication. Uh, you know, first of all, I think we punched above our weight in terms of our size, and in terms of like what kind of stories we broke. Um, but I think also going into that is, you know, we, we, we uh, I, I don't want to say fearless because like every, every ridiculous publication describes themselves as that, uh, we, we, we took risks, I think is a good way to put it. Um, 
and sometimes with risks, you know, you lose, like, you don't, that's what, that's what a risk is, is payoff. And then there's, you know, uh, possible consequences. Um, and, you know, and another thing, uh, someone else did was something he described like Baron Trump, like making fun of like what Baron Trump wore Baron Trump's like 11 and we got a huge backlash against yeah. that. Um, yeah, it, it's in my case, it's mostly judgment. I go to I go to my higher up just to like run it by them in the case of uh, like a Milo like character. Sure. And I, like I said, I, I did that this time. Um, but I mean, it's all judgment. I'm 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 tasked with creating an interesting opinion yeah. section that has you know long term uh, interesting, different, and fresh ideas Got for it. people. And then that's kind of how the whole organization comes. Um, so you know, sometimes it works, sometimes not so yeah. much. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, and uh, yeah, good luck. All right. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. All right, man. Bye. Don't say anything cross-eyed to Moynihan before noon after <laughs> after a commute. I mean, after a bad MTA commute. But also, I mean, if you're the editor of an opinion section and your job is to, is to make arguments and be able to defend them, um, that was a rather poor showing. Um, to say, well, you don't want it to be true. No, motherfucker, justify it. <laughs> tell me it is true. A historian told me. What did he tell you? Yeah. I a mean, historian, a historian told, I guess the evidence he cited was there, there were was a float floats in a gay, gay pride parade. Now, do I die? I, I mean, I, yeah. who, I that could be true. There, there was it could be true. Or it, could not, it, could, it could be uh, bullshit. Who knows? Yeah. There could have been one float and one parade yeah. of three people in totally. San Francisco in 1977. And of course, that the, the gay rights movement was imbued with these, these uh, <laughs> sleazy pedophiles. I think it is one of the more repulsive things to conflate. Uh, homosexuality with pedophilia and people get to do that with somebody like you know if Kevin Spacey's in the news um, I don't know what how much of that stuff is true I haven't I haven't kept up with it um, but no I mean it's a pretty sinister uh, thing to do and if you're going to make a sinister accusation like that um, don't have your brain fail on you so quickly because um, if I'm going to, well, no, I mean, he's not, clearly a smart guy who's not particularly bright. You know, his, his brain functions in some way, doesn't have a lot of information in it. And that's the problem with opinion journalists. That's the problem with people who work at, at a sort of sewer publication like the Daily Caller. She is that, look at it, it's a piece of garbage publication. It's, it's garbage. It's like, I mean, the stories we break. I'll tell you what, there's been a lot of stories broken about the Trump administration, most of them by Maggie Haberman, most of them by Robert Costa, most of them by uh, the, Wall Street, uh, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. And Tucker Carlson stood on stage at CPAC in, I believe, 2010, said, hey, you know, the New York Times is a good newspaper. He was booed relentlessly. And he said, no, no, we have to start our version of the New York Times. If the Daily Caller is uh, the conservative the, the rights version of the New York Times, uh, the right should give up on trying to, to to make a version of the New York Times. I mean, if you want to have pictures of, pictures of Justin Verlander's girlfriend, you know, on a trampoline, that's totally fine. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny in a way, in the page six uh, or page three girl kind of way. But what do they do? I mean, these are the people that they employ. Matt Boyle are these people that that uh, work. I mean, these are these are jokers. They're not real. I mean, they're idea. They're not ideologues only. They're ideologues who aren't good at being ideologues. I mean, I think what's instructive here is the extent to which he is um, uh, defending the troll publishing model, 
right? I mean, that's fine. Um, no, I mean, uh, yeah. it's 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 actually kind of refreshing to hear it like that. We are in it for clicks, um, and we want people who are right up against it and uh, who are uh, you know <laughs> who are, aren't straightforward white nationalists and and who can uh, get yeah, not not. Skin. I mean, that's the great that's the great bait and switch, right? Is that you know the out and out right nas- white nationalists whatever they used and I said oh so you know the subtle subtle white nationalists trying to say well you know those are the ones that the SPLC calls yeah the SPLC um, calls a lot of people uh, things they shouldn't call them and they kind of you know have done it like I mean to call, to call Majid Nawaz a, like an anti-Muslim bigot who's a Muslim um, and was an Islamist and kind of backed away from that stuff is embarrassing that they do things like that but that has become. The kind of, uh, well, you know, that, that's just what uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center calls everybody a white nationalist. No, well, you know, uh, perhaps we've gone uh, or they've gone way too far on this. Yes. But I also wouldn't, I, I would own your own definitions of these things. These people are too fucking dumb to do that. They don't, they say, well, you know, I mean, uh, people who are like out and out and right nationalists, so, you know, I wouldn't publish that. I'm sorry. You publish subtle white nationalists. Well, by their dis- no, use your own definitions. Yeah. Don't back off onto other people's definitions so you have some plausible deniability. I, I find I, think it, that's, I don't know I think what subtle white nationalism is. Um, I, for for the record, I have no patience for these morons anymore. Sorry, I just no. Don't. I, I listen. I, I think you're entitled to you were entitled to your upset. I think it's a justifiable. Um, it's justifiable, and the way he defended himself against your. Uh, response to his claim uh, about about Nambla having a prominent role in the gay gay rights movement, it it, it wasn't very good. Um, it didn't make sense. Well, what it does, it's, it's it a is. Cute, I mean, it's a cute it, dodge. It, it, it's it, I mean, it's a it's lazy. A feeble, it's a yeah, lazy dodge. Yeah, and, and it's and like by, by cute, I meant. I just like, I just gotten off the subway after taking like eighty years to get here, so <laughs> I wasn't. I probably wasn't making the most sense. That's okay. But um, no, you it, made you made perfect sense. It it, it it frustrates me because this is what the the right has done recently, is you know it used to be the liberal media, mm-hmm. right? You take something that's true. Yeah, the media is by and large staffed by liberals. Some. Uh, more uh, open about their political allegiances than others. Yeah, that's fine. And then the other one now, this is the new version of that, is, oh, you call everyone of this. You call everyone of that. You know, and, and it's not, it, that's not untrue. Though. Again, like yeah. I said, most people in the media are liberal. Yeah. And again, that's not untrue. But it's become this lazy force field that people put up to knock down kind of these like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you 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 don't want to believe that to be true because you're sure. some liberal. And I made a joke because I'm as a gay man. Yeah. I'm not I'm not gay. <laughs> and are you gay? Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. what does it matter? It's totally you know, ridiculous. The, and, yeah. and we can cut this out of the serious broadcast. I can fuck 10 men today and it still doesn't make what you said true. <laughs> are you gay? I don't know. You trying to you going to give me a hand job? What do you want? <laughs> What does that matter? These are the people. This is the Trump kind of idea of like, well, this Mexican judge can't uh, adjudicate a case because they are Mexican, et cetera. Absolutely. The, the first time I saw Trump speak at uh, Freedom Fest, and thankfully it was the last uh, in person, he uh, uh, someone uh, booed or no, someone asked him a question about some of the dumb immigration things he said. And his uh, comment was, um, oh, I, I bet you the Mexican government is paying you. Yeah, it's this. That's I think the. The troll culture, which is now dominant on the right, not just in media, but uh, in in actual uh, political power here, 
the troll culture is inherently collectivist because you are yeah. you are constantly looking at an allegedly monolithic opponent out there who is just kind of collectively guilty. Yeah, of- you're buying into the the lefty kind of narrative on this because I mean, as Camille's pointed out a number of times, and as Camille has himself experienced as a black man who doesn't consider himself black, but everybody else does, when they say like, as a black man, how can you believe X, Y, and Z? It's yes. not different from what Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's not different. That type of essentialism is not different than what Trump, Donald Trump says when he says, like, you know, you can't have this Mexican judge ruling on this case because uh-huh. he's Mexican. It's like, no, you, you, you're all buying into the same narrative. Totally. You're all absolutely wrong. I think that the extent to which everyone is practicing the the same sort of voodoo and not engaging with ideas in a substantive way. Like Milo might be saying things that you don't like. He may be saying things yeah. that are not you in particular, Moynihan, sure. you may not like them just in general, you listener. Yeah. Um, he may be saying things that people don't like, um, but it's not necessarily the case that he is uh, a racist and therefore you don't have to engage with the substance of the charge that's being made. I think it is totally appropriate to criticize racists on their merits. I think there's always something dangerous about condemning people and not dismantling the actual ideas that are on offer. If they are baseless, demonstrate how it's baseless. Don't be content to make the charge. He's a racist. He is a, a, a fear monger. Explain. I will enumerate enumerate your logic, especially if you are a working journalist, a person who offers opinions professionally. Otherwise, you're you're kind of just fucking around. You're you're flailing and you are actually giving those people you're giving your adversaries uh, a tool that they can bludgeon you with, as Moynihan uh, expertly demonstrated uh, in the uh, in the engagement that uh, that took place during our conversation. And I, I don't, I, just, I don't want to, I, was, I, I don't want to extend this too much in. further. I just I walked like, in at that yeah, you, point. You came in I was in a late. bad mood, but at the same time, I just want to say one tiny thing on that. Go ahead. And is that on the Milo thing uh, is, is you're absolutely right about all, all of that. But you know, I'm, people are more interested in rolling the grin, the, the grenade into the tent, the racist grenade, the sexist grenade, mm-hmm. the patriarch. It's like, cause it means so much. And like, once it blows up, it's kind of like getting hit with a paintball. It splatters all over you. And then you're just like, I'm this forever. Yeah. So it's a more effective uh, criticism. I think with people like Milo, when I met Milo, well, I've met Milo a couple of times, but when I hung out with him as a, at his house in, in um, Florida and I was doing this story on him and anytime it was the, and I said in the piece, you know, the clown knows on clown knows off thing. Anytime it went too far and I would batter him on something and say like, look, what is this kind of nonsense you're saying? He's like, he's like, Oh, but isn't it funny? I'm just not trolling. I'm just trolling. I'm like, you know, okay. So rather than rolling that grenade that you're a racist, you're the, I don't care to find, there's no, there's no standard on this. So you have to use whatever scale you're using to call someone a racist, a sexist, whatever. I'm just not interested in that at this point. So what I want to say about him and like you hire Milo as a columnist, you hire him to be on your television show, your radio show or something. He's just, he's just childish is that, you know, look, it doesn't have to be Bill Buckley. It doesn't have to be firing on. It doesn't have to be, you know, that sort of level where, you know, it, it would, it would be, um, you know, Buckley versus Russell Kirk and then Paul Hollander talking about the sort of idea of communism. It doesn't have to be that there's, there's other stuff and there's other stuff, ways of con- conveying those ideas. But 
he's not even Rush Limbaugh, who is like the WWF kind of funny and like loud and brash. I mean, he's just an infant. He's like, you know, like throwing like firecrackers into the into the tent, not through. It's insane. Like, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just I'm trolling. I'm screwing. You know, you know what I say when someone says I'm trolling? Grow the fuck up. This is serious business. Like, well, you know what you did in the past? And they say this to other conservatives. What you did in the past didn't work. How do you, how is it working for you guys right now? No legislative achievements in the entire year. A president with 38% approval rating. A, a you know, a, a, a special prosecutor about to put people in jail. The former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, you know, in handcuffs, et cetera. How's it going? How did the trolling work out for you? How's that doing? We got to the top. Try to stay there, buddy. Yeah. Because getting to the top is the easy part, right? I mean, as far as this is concerned, they yeah. figured this out. And I, I assume we'll talk about Ed Gillespie and this trying to replicate these kind of kind of tactics uh, elsewhere. Great. It's easy, easy to get there. Like, say you get the uh, beautiful, attractive girlfriend. Can you keep her? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, I, I, there's we got to wrap this up because uh, we've got other business. I, I like I like the, the crescendo there. And whatever one might think of the substance of the Russia investigation, like I am deeply skeptical of many attributes of it the comeuppance that the Trump administration is suffering as a consequence of this investigation is not primarily a consequence of the witch hunt bearing fruit. It is actually their incompetence, the the stupidity as, the, as Steve of, Bannon of this out. particular of this particular campaign yeah. and, of, and and which is carried through into the administration in, in terms of their lack of accomplishment. Um, having people like this associated with you in the first place is the reason why you are vulnerable to this kind of assault where the people are finding themselves locked up or facing incarceration or are just proving themselves total morons um, in, in congressional testimony transcripts. <laughs> uh, get a lawyer. <laughs> Anyways, we'll uh, we'll talk about that more later, but we should wrap this up. Um, surprisingly uh, interesting conversation. Took many interesting turns. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.